Good day, friends. Welcome to Our Power is Within. I'm your host, Chasmith, aka Just Chaz, and I am on a mission to inspire people to take their power back, to help them to realize that each and every one of us has a healer within our own self. When we create an environment that supports healing and get out of our own way, we are truly capable of healing in mind, body, and soul. Will you continue to help me spread this message so that we can inspire even more people in this coming year? Several ways that you can help me support this podcast and spread the message of empowerment, healing, and possibility are leaving a five-star rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts, and then of course sharing your favorite episode with a friend or your favorite episode on social media and tagging me at Our Power Is Within. Thank you so much for your continued support. I really do appreciate it. So our challenge this week is going to be um, a little different. Normally I have us do like a challenge that's every day for a week, but this is going to be just once this week, unless you want to do it more, or maybe it becomes a daily challenge depending on what you need. But my hope is that each person listening will think of something this week that would be a really wonderful act of self-care. And I want this to be an out-of-the-box thinking rather than like, you know, I mean, it could be just like your normal go-to self-care things, but it could be something totally different and unique that maybe we wouldn't normally think about. What it really comes down to is you finding some stillness and some quiet and going within and really connecting with yourself and figuring out what it is that you need right now. Like what would be a really wonderful act of self-care for you? Because it's going to be different for me. And then commit to yourself. Schedule it in. Schedule it into the week. No matter how busy your schedule might look, find time to put you and what you need first. So I'll give you guys an example or some examples. It could be something as simple as a peaceful candlelight and aromatherapy bubble bath, right? With maybe some soft tunes in the background. Or maybe it's um, simply just carving in alone time that you've been craving. Or maybe you've been really longing for some type of adventure or experience in your life that is zesty and brings you joy and excitement. And honestly, it could be as simple as, you know what, I haven't been as committed to my daily meditation practice and that really feels like self-care right now, right? So many options. I'll share with you what I'm going to do. So many of you who've been following along for a while now know that I've recently moved to Florida. And honestly, I haven't really prioritized making new connections or friendships, but As a four-line profile in my human design chart, connections and tribes are so important for me. You guys, sometimes here's something I'll share. Sometimes as much as I know they're important and I crave them, sometimes along this healing journey, I find that I get so caught up in wanting to fill my day with all these disciplines and tools and modalities and action steps to help with my healing that I still forget to live. I forget to freaking just live. Like I can't fill my schedule with DNRS rounds and EFT tapping and, um, you know, this experience or this exercise or this thing. Like it's all that's good and it's all important and it all really does benefit me. And 
I still need to live because what is life only just filled with tasks that are aimed towards fixing or healing me in some regard it's like it's like saying it's literally buying into this idea that i'm broken and i need fixed or that like all these things though and used appropriately can be great but there's so much value and benefit in actually living you know like for example in the uh, gupta program we're taught about creating pleasure and joy in our life because creating joy and pleasure actually help heal. So if we get too caught up in these healing specific tools and forget to actually do these things that bring us this joy and light us up and help us feel so good and connected and authentically living, that also brings healing. So that was my long roundabout ramble that ultimately I'm just sharing with you an inherent struggle that I have, which is finding that balance, often getting too caught up in the doing of tasks towards a goal of feeling well, that I forget to actually live life and do all these things like connect and make friendships and have bonds and create experiences and adventures that also result in healing and well-being for me especially I would say probably for most of us but I find it really important and so lately anyways I've just been craving craving connection especially just craving female quality connection and I've had such lovely conversations and I am so grateful for all my friends that don't live near me that I had to say goodbye to in uh, California um, and that's awesome, but maybe you feel me on this. Like I need to like connect in person, like go and create an experience or a memory with a friend in like real time now face to face. So I have been trying to come up with creative ways that I could forge some friendships and meet some new beautiful women in my area. And so that is my commitment for this week is to connect with one new girlfriend this week to prioritize connection above everything else. I hope that you have fun with this. And if you want to share with me what you decide to do, I absolutely love getting DMs and emails and messages with you guys sharing your experiences as well. Um, because it helps inspire me too. So please feel free to share if you feel called and have a lot of fun with this um, challenge this week. All right, you guys? All right. Well, speaking of connections, today we don't only have one guest to introduce, but two, Lauren and Luke. Lauren and Luke Smallcomb. They are a married couple with four children. Lauren is an RN and a nutritional therapist, and Luke is a clinical counselor who is super passionate about all things mental health. And Lauren and Luke have a really fun story to share on how learning and exploring the world of attachment theory has profoundly influenced not only their marriage, but also how they choose to parent. They share with us about mistakes that they've made along the way, what they've learned, and what they're up to now. Lauren and Luke also have their own podcast, 
called Filled to Flourish, where they bring different guests on to talk all things along their journey of becoming emotionally healthy people. You will find a link to their podcast in the show notes, and we will learn a lot today about attachment theory, why it is so important to learn and understand how we naturally show up in relationship, because as we know, our relationships and the quality of them play a huge role in our overall health and well-being. So you guys, this is a fun conversation. I really loved getting to chat with both of them, and I hope that you enjoy today's episode. All right, Lauren and Luke, thank you so much for being here with me and everyone listening today. It's our pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Jazz. Of course. Yeah, for everyone listening, um, you guys, anyone who's been avidly following along with this podcast the past year knows that this is my first um, interview with two people, so this will be fun. (laughs) We're honored to be the first two people interview. Yeah, yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. And for um, just for a little like uh, perspective, so people who are listening are aware, uh, Lauren and Luke are a couple married with children and currently residing in Thailand. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. And um, from going from there, I think I'd love for you guys to actually just share a little bit about yourselves and the work you're doing and how you were led into this kind of work. Okay. Well, we've been married for 15 years, like, and like you said, we had four, we have four kids. Um, I am a uh, clinical counselor, so that's one way that we've gotten into mental health, emotional health, um, and we've also adopted two children. Uh, one child we adopted at two weeks old, and our other child we adopted when she was 12. Um, so, attachment started our understanding of attachment kind of started there of under trying to figure out how do we attach uh through adoption what's the best way to do that um of course i learned a little bit about it in grad school um but it was before i had very small kids so i didn't really know what i was what it how important attachment was at that point yeah no idea (laughs) um and uh now we're living in in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and I'm a counselor at a counseling international counseling center, working with people who uh, English speakers that live all over Southeast Asia, and helping them be emotionally healthy. Yeah, he's really he's my favorite counselor. He does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little biased, but yeah, that's okay. You're allowed yeah. to be. Yeah, um. I uh, So, a side note, really quick question. So, at what point in your marriage did you guys first adopt how many years into it so it was 2012 so six years in yeah so we had two two bio kids and we brought home our our third who was an infant at that time okay and so six years in and you were saying like you kind of really weren't really aware of the like attachment theory Mm -hmm. and this whole concept of attachment prior to the adoption so you made it that far in the marriage without ever even really understanding (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how the attachment theory and your own personal attachment styles might play a role in oh, the relationship. We had no idea. <laughs> and, wow. And, and yet that doesn't mean it wasn't playing out every yeah. single day. That information would have been so life-giving. But yeah, we didn't know yet. And so we were we were definitely living out of our insecure attachment styles all those years. Um, mm-hmm. But we didn't know. We didn't know yet. Okay. And mm-hmm. what prompt, I, this is a total side note too, but I'm just really curious. What actually <laughs> prompted the desire to adopt? 
Yeah, that is a great question. Um, I grew up babysitting for a big family with a bunch of kids um, that were adopted through the foster care system. And Luke and I were like high school sweethearts. So he would always come over and we would like, quote, air quote, babysit together. <laughs> we, we would though, we would. Only one time did the little girl's head get stuck in the um, the staircase. I think that was I was on the phone. You were on the phone with me, yeah. Oops. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, but for real, I was I was a good babysitter. They loved me like a, a, a daughter. It was super fun. And it just kind of birthed that idea of like, oh, wait, family doesn't have to be biological. Like this, this isn't the only way to become family. And we kind of always wanted to. And then we just jumped in one year. We felt really ready, but I don't know what that means. Like Luke was in grad school. I was working nights as a nurse. We, we really weren't ready. We had no money, but <laughs> we, we were like, let's do this. We had like a couple of relationships that we actually were in Hungary when we met a couple people and had conversations. And it just started sparking that desire of seeing uh, how important adoption is and how it can be helpful and yeah. So started conversations and we're like, yeah, I think now's the time. Yeah. And I actually, this is crazy, Chaz. This will give you a picture of my intense personality. But <laughs> when we brought our son home, who was two weeks old, I started breastfeeding him because I was like, well, my other two got breast milk. He's going to get breast milk too. And what, I was taking, how did, yeah, I know, right? How did you do that? Did you, were you still like, I was crazy. <laughs> No, but um, did you still have milk producing from like another baby that you had? I did. So she wasn't uh, quite a baby. She was two and a half, but I didn't have okay. much milk. It was just like toddler nursing here and there. But yeah. um, I started taking herbs and drinking like non-alcoholic beer for the hops and doing all of these things. Like I was crazy to pr- to increase my milk supply. And yeah, we I did think it it's beautiful because you obviously felt like it would be a you know, like a helpful thing for the baby. So yeah. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really awesome. And then you guys went and adopted a 12 year old, which is, I just say, I think that's awesome because, you know, well, we all know like a lot of times like the babies get adopted, but the mm-hmm. kids get mm-hmm. overlooked. And yeah. I've always felt this calling since I was really young, I've never wanted my own children, but I always Mm -hmm. said, if I ever am going to have a kid, I'm going to adopt an actual child, not a baby. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, are you crazy? They're like, that's like just asking for trouble. There are so many problems. And I'm like, yeah, but everybody deserves a second chance, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and Chaz, you'd be so, I mean, you're just so set up for like, I think the hardest part about adopting kids with a lot of trauma and baggage is if you haven't dealt with your own story and like, if you haven't found um, regulation and grounding for yourself, then it just yeah. kind of the stories collide and it's really, it's really challenging. So yeah, yeah. right. Because how do you co regulate for a young child that needs mm-hmm. co regulation if you don't know how to regulate for yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So that leads you guys into this whole world of what is attachment mm-hmm. and what role does it play, right? Yes. This 12 dive. year old. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Deep tell, dive. tell us about it. And let's actually back up even a, a moment for anyone listening. Could you guys actually explain what attachment theory is? And, um, there, you know, I'm not going to assume everyone knows what it is already. Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a big topic, so I'll do my best <laughs> to summarize it, but basically, um, there's insecure attachment and there's secure attachment. Um, and it was a theory that was created by uh, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth in the 50s. Um, they did a lot of <clears throat> research and studies about how ma- uh, parents and kids interacted 
and um, how they inter uh, connected with each other, uh, whether they felt safe or not safe, um, how they responded when the parents left, when the parents were with them. Uh, it's, and it's really, it was really, it's really fascinating. Um, and so there's three insecure attachments, which is anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and uh, anxious avoidant attachment, also known as complex, uh, sorry, not complex, a disorganized attachment, um, which is complex. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, secure attachment. Um, and in the perfect world, we we all had perfectly attached parents, um, parents who attached us perfectly, and we all have this great secure attachment, which we can just explore the world and have healthy, rich relationships with. But that doesn't usually happen, huh? That's ideal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we usually end up needing to work towards that, though. Mm, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, okay. If so. I use a lot of my story when I'm counseling and our podcast because I feel like story just explains and helps us relate and give language to our own stories. Absolutely. And so um, I have an insecure attachment. Um, it's actually disorganized. And so that just explains basically that my parents had an insecure attachment because we can only parent and live and interact with people through our own our own attachment styles. Uh, so, attachment as a baby, a baby gets receives attachment based on whether the parent can regulate and attune to the baby's needs. Um, Adam Young is something somebody I've been learning a lot from. He has a, a podcast, The Place We Find Ourselves, and it's. He uses six big idea, a big idea for attachment. Um, the six big ideas are attunement. So a parent is able to see a baby and pay attention to what, what the need is, respond to, to that need, engage in that need, uh, regulate their own ability, uh, their own uh, uh, emotions, allow the child to have hard emotions, and when they mess up, apologize. So it's like, it doesn't matter if the food's on the table, the roof's over the head, uh, there's a good schools, they're like, they have a health, a, like a good smooth uh, childhood. It's what are the parents emotionally engaging with their kids? Mm -hmm. So it's, so if a baby's crying, is the parent able to attune to that cry, respond to that cry, engage with that baby in that cry, regulate themselves while the baby's not stopping crying, hmm. allowing the baby to cry and have those hard emotions. And then like as a baby, you can't really apologize, but you make it up. You you connect with them. You uh, you just yeah love them in the moment. But as the kids get older, you apologize when you mess up because mm -hmm. as parents do, we mess up. Um, so how frequently that parent 
how, how frequent and regular that parent responds to that cry with attunement decides whether the child's attachment is secure or insecure. And that happens by, by what, by how old? By two years old. So uh, mm. the, they even say the first thousand days after conception is what lays the foundation for the brain's attachment uh, groundwork. Wow. So as the mom is pregnant, the baby's getting all of the, the cortisol and adrenaline and stress hormones. And, and this is where it's been fascinating for me as I'm starting to learn now about like the body connection of like the polyvagal and the, the vagus nerve and uh, somatic experiences. And because while the mom's pregnant, if she isn't able to regulate herself and she lives in a the sympathetic activation, she's already attuning or not attuning to the baby. She's already yeah. giving the brain framework for, for attachment because attachment is letting the child know, am I safe in this relationship? Like that's the, the when the baby's crying, he's asking mom, am I safe? Is relationship safe? Are you going to be here for me? Mm -hmm. And so while she's pregnant, she's creating or not creating safety for that developing brain. And it, as they're born and they're in the crib and hearing crying, baby's asking again, am I safe? Can you create safety? And if the mom goes in and cuddles them on a regular basis, studies show only 50% of the time, the mom is or dad is fully attuned, responding, engaging, regulating, then the child will have a secure attachment. I'm, I'm going to jump in because I know what you meant by that. Just to clarify, I, I avoiding connection 50% of the time isn't what you're saying. You're saying they've studied and realized that you don't have to get parenting perfect. Perfectly. You don't have to get attunement perfect yeah. for there to be a secure attachment develop to develop, but um, definitely constant attempts at attunement <laughs> not like oh well, I, I picked up the baby last time i'm not gonna go in this time right. that's, that's not what he meant at all no it's, yeah it's, yeah. yeah we don't have to I, I picked up on that okay <laughs> thank you Chad. and um <laughs> but it was a good clarification just in sure. case and yes. um she does that well so <laughs> uh, what was i gonna just say? okay so have you ever heard of the there's like, you know, well, there's always all kinds of thoughts and theories out there about all kinds of things, parenting and this and that. But, yeah. um, you know, I've heard this so many times, like, oh, you're, you got to let it, the baby cry it out because yeah. otherwise you're going to spoil them or they're going to always, you know, they're going to think that they can just cry to get their way or get what they want when they're <laughs> older. And I just like the more I learned about attachment and stuff like that, I think that's just bananas. Like, yeah, the, the, the baby has no other like. The baby is surviving. Yeah. Like they don't know, they, they don't understand our li like actual verbal language yet. They can't just, yeah. you can't, right. like they need to be communicated with and loved via this like connection and this physical touch mm. and yes. this, um, 
like you said, I love how you said crying is literally like the baby saying, am I safe? Mm-hmm. Is this safe? And you're responding to that mm-hmm. and nurturing them. So yeah, I just, um, yeah, Chaz, we, we have <laughs> learned so much. Like we have, um, just put our foot in our mouth so many times in our parenting journey because we were like in the beginning, we came from a very conventional mindset and we're like, oh, those attachment parents, they're so crazy. You're gonna spoil those kids. Yeah, you don't wanna spoil, like, which is so, yeah, we completely have changed. Like you can't spoil a baby. It's no. literally yeah. not possible to spoil a baby. And a baby can't manipulate you right. Yeah. to get their, like to try to just get their needs met and not, be responsible. It's like, it's their job. They're they're completely vulnerable in the world and you are their only source of regulation. There is no other possible way for them to regulate apart from you. And that's, and that's the, that's, it's just so fascinating and so sad um, to have that mindset because that's like dehumanizing the baby and the baby, if they're crying, that means something's wrong. That's the only language they have. Right. And so to say that that cry is not meaningful or not valuable is completely missing it because the baby's also like we, our bodies read not just facial expressions, but like our limbic system is reading, uh, the baby's limbic system is reading our limbic system. The baby's mirror neurons are hearing or reading our our mirror neurons, their uh, vagal nerve is reading off of our vagal nerve. And so it's like, there's not like, and none of that is logical. Like there's, there's not intentional thought to any of that. That's autonomic. And, and it's just asking. And so when they're saying, am I safe? And the parents are like, yes, you're safe. Just, just hold on a little bit longer and push through it and suck it up and white knuckle it and you'll, you'll get through this. It's like that gives that message that relationship's not safe, that I can't rely on people. And that's where avoidant attachment comes in is mm-hmm. relationship's not safe. Why, why would I trust it? Why would I share my needs? You've already told me that it's not important. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's so crazy because it's happening from while we're still in the womb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we're just, uh, yeah, it's so interesting. It really is. Could you explain for people listening the difference between anxious, avoidant, and disorganized attachment so that maybe if this is new to somebody out yeah. there, they can get a feel, they can maybe get a feeling for what they might, um, what it, like category they might fall into? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so anxious attachment is. Basically, you get the message that sometimes I'm okay and sometimes I'm not, but it's un, uncertain when that when that is. So I'm anxious. So I'm constantly asking the question, "Am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay?" And so, a lot of times, these people are jumping from relationship to relationship. They're in a relationship, things don't work out because a lot of times they're seen as like needy or clingy. And, be like, you're too much. Cause they're constantly asking, am I okay? Am I okay? And so they, maybe they end the relationship and then all of a sudden their attachment gets activated. And it's like, I'm not okay. I need somebody to tell me I'm okay. So they find a, another quick relationship. So they're not in between relationships very, for very long. 
And as a kid, um, I am, that's my attachment style, anxious attachment. Um, and so as a child, kids with anxious attachment styles, they are so hyper vigilant to their surroundings because they've learned, okay, I'm not, I'm, I don't know if the care and nurture and attunement I need is going to come. So I'm going to tune in and be hyper aware of, of my caregivers so that I can anticipate my needs being met or not met. So it's a survival strategy that um, is created pretty young in kids. And it can look, it can kind of morph into like a people pleasing type codependency type situation, because you're so um, your needs matter, all of our needs matter. And when they're being met inconsistently, um, you will do whatever it takes to get them met. Yes. Mm. Um, I don't know if this is the right time to share this, but it, that uh, I've heard it said like a child would, uh, wants relationship and connection. And so with every child is, is faced with a, a question a, in a dysfunctional family system is, is faced with a question, do I deny my needs and have relationship or do I keep my needs and uh, lose relationship and hundred percent of the time, a child is going to deny their needs and choose relationship. And so that like opens up another whole category, uh, another problem of like body disconnection. And that leads mm-hmm. into all kinds of other chronic illnesses and mental illnesses and stuff. Yeah. That's maybe we'll come back to that. Maybe not. Maybe that's another episode for somebody else to take on, but then, <laughs> then, uh, avoidant attachment, um, is they've gotten the message, like I said, uh, relationships, not safe. Uh, so they'll, they are going to be more distant relationally. They're and learn to regulate themselves on their own. So then it gets to a point where it's like, well, what's the point of relationships? I can do it. I can self-regulate myself. And usually this isn't in healthy ways. This is in uh, addictions or overworking or things that bring, they've found along the way, bring regulation, mm-hmm. but in lieu of real connection with humans. And so mm-hmm. like, as a child, it might look like reading, but they spend a lot of time reading. They spend a lot of time playing video games. They put, spend, So they're all, they're focused, they're, using their own ability to regulate because they've been told I'm not going to be there for you. So figure it out. So they might be the kids that cried themselves to sleep. Um, the extreme version or, and not so extreme version, but Mm -hmm. basically like babies are asking, am I safe? So as they're crying and trying to fall asleep, the parents are like with good intentions. Well, if they just cry a little bit longer, they'll, they'll fall asleep and they'll get tired. But the message that's being said is regulate yourself. And a baby cannot regulate themselves. The purpose of a parent is to regulate, to tell their brain how to put the framework, the connections, the wiring to say, this is how you regulate in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. But either way, they're going to tell them, this is how you regulate. And so avoid an attached person would say, you can do it yourself and push through it. And so it just can start with reading, 
by themselves or playing by themselves or whatever. But a lot of times it turns into addictions. Um, and I actually uh, see work with a lot of addictions. I just see addictions as a self-regulation tool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's either they're trying to regulate themselves from hypo to ventral or hyper down to ventral. Um, depending on the addiction choice, you can pretty much just see where their attachment is and where they spend most of their time in dysregulation. Um, and then disorganize is the combination. Uh, so a parent who creates a disorganized attachment in a child in a child is is similar to in, like it's the unpredictability. It's sometimes I'm here and sometimes I'm not. Mm. But it's also sometimes I'm here, I love you, and sometimes I'm not. But also sometimes I'm just angry. I'm abusive. I'm yelling. I'm maybe physically abusive or I'm, I'm emotionally abusive. But there's explosion. So it's it's disorganized. It's like, okay, I, I love you and you're safe, but you're also a threat and then dangerous. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what to do with this, uh, confusing message. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's kind of, uh, a, like with one hand they're saying, please come here. I need you. And the other hand saying, okay, stay away from me back up. You're too close. You scare me. You scare me. Uh, and <laughs> that was, that's been our experience mm-hmm. <laughs> very much. It was, uh, hey, babe, I need you. Get closer. Oh, too close. Get away from me. <laughs> or uh, we're fighting and there's conflict. Like, oh, I need you, just, but I can't move towards you. Because if I move towards you, there's a risk of you going to reject me. And so I need you, but I can't move towards you. And I think before we had the, the language of attachment, in neurology, we we just thought this was all cognitive. Yeah. So if it's just mm-hmm. cognitive, oh, we'll just talk your way out of it. But these yeah. are physiological reactions, yeah. you know? You, you can't, this is what your body is experiencing in relation to another human. It's yeah. so much deeper than just thinking differently about it. And when your right. activation, when your attachment is activated, like, like you were saying, physiologically, your frontal lobe, your thinking logic part of your brain shuts off and your limbic system, your survival brain, it turns on and you're just analyzing your environment as, okay, where's the threat? Yep. I've been told relationship is a threat. People are the threat. Okay. So where is it? And in our marriage, if I was hurt by Lauren, it was like, okay, you're the threat. So I'm going to keep you away. And it, like something I'm even learning now, when your sympathetic nervous system is activated, the muscles in your ears change and so you're hearing a lower tone so you're looking for that threat you, you're only hearing that threat whereas in ventral and safe and social your muscles in your ear are hearing a more middle tone <laughs> and so it, you're just setting yourself up for that cycle of crazy making cycle of uh reaffirming your attachment fears and re- reactivating your attachment does that answer wonder, that question for those three? It does. Yes, it does. I wonder also if somebody could find themselves in a disorganized attachment style from the combination of both parents. Like say one parent kind of yeah. was more um, 
regulating and attuning and nurturing, but the other parent was maybe the verbally abusive one or the very erratic one. I wonder if the, if you know, if the combination of like the very distinct difference between two parents um, could affect a child to uh, end up with the more of the disorganized attachment style. That's a good question. And um, <laughs> that actually kind of sounds like my childhood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mine too. And I, I, I most associate with that disorganized style. So that's why I'm curious. Yeah, I haven't read or heard anybody say it like that, but that m- makes a lot of sense. Because mm-hmm. I think my mom was more anxiously attached. And I would say my dad was avoidantly attached and, mm-hmm. um, and explosive. So that combination definitely was like, okay, you guys are safe sometimes, but also explosive other times. But also my dad was, was an addict until I was, a, I was four. So those first four years of my development were very chaotic. There was a right. lot of explosion, arguing, fighting, abuse, um, yeah. chaos. Yeah. So I, I couldn't say for sure that's, that would, that's, that's possible, but maybe someone else can, but it definitely, uh, ob- observing wise. And we've actually, we've, um, theorized that before when right. we're like, cause, cause the reality is you don't necessarily get, basically, if you have a two parents with secure attachments, you're going to have a secure attachment barring like, like war genetics. or famine or something crazy. But right. if you have two parents with insecure attachment styles, you're going to have an, have an insecure attachment style, but it, it isn't directly indicative of which one you'll have. Right. So that's what we're kind of talking about here. Like which one do you get? So if you have a parent who's avoidant and anxious, which one are you going to have? Well, I think so much depends on who you're associating with most yep. and, yeah, like you said, you could even have one who's who's securely attached, but the other one creates such a different environment that your nervous system can't only receive that secure attachment. It's also mm-hmm. receiving all the threat too. Yeah. Like I have three siblings and we're not all disorganized. Like there's anxious, there's avoidant. Yeah. You're all insecurely attached. We're all insecurely attached. <laughs> you sure. got four for four on that one, but mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess unless like the parents had a drastic makeover between children, there's going to be, you know, it's going to be rare to find that where one one becomes very secure and the other does not. And I, I would say, unfortunately, I, I would say that probably has happened with our kids. Yeah. As we learned in between kids um, and did some of our own healing and did parented differently for those first two years and mm-hmm. um, the difference between our firstborn and our secondborn is, is drastically different. Yeah. And it's confusing because it's like, that wasn't that much time, but even nursing, like I wasn't able to nurse my firstborn, um, for that. I, I nursed him for like five months and then he started screaming every t- single time we would try to nurse. And now looking back and realizing, oh, wow, my body was in sympathetic all the time. And I was a new mom and I was panicked. And like, there was these variables that even though on the outside, their upbringing looked similar. Mm-hmm. My second time around, I had the super nurturing, loving midwife who like empowered me to be a mom and empowered me to be a woman. And I had this water birth and then I nursed her like effortlessly for two years. And she has this like super robust, secure attachment. And we're just like, what the heck? 
Yeah. I'm so sorry. In the first one yeah. we had, we had just moved to a new state. I just started another college. And we were babies. We were like, babies. We knew nothing. Yeah. 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 We're all just doing the best we can. That's why I like it. It's like also important to always point out when we're talking about any type of um, traits, you know, whether it's like a personality trait or whether it's like an attachment style, anything that we are experiencing in our lives as adults that maybe you know, was influenced by the role of our parents when we were young children. It's super important Mm. to just always remember that it's not about fault or blame. It's just about responsibility. Like everyone's doing the best they can. The parents Mm -hmm. were only doing the best they could given their circumstance. And, you know, sadly, um, you know, parents, um, like our parents, mm-hmm. they didn't have, they didn't have access to the wealth of knowledge and information and understanding of the body and the mind mm-hmm. that we do today, right. you know? And so it's this ancestral trauma that gets passed down. And so, yeah, so it's not about blaming like, oh, it's my parents fault that I'm this or that. It's like, no, it's just noticing, hey, they did the best they could. And, and now I know what I know and I have tools and now it's my choice to be responsible to move into something new. Yes. Yeah. So good. And with that, like something that's helped with us as, cause the other thing with attachment is yes, there's a foundation and groundwork that's laid within the first two years and you live out of that. That's, mm-hmm. but you're not destined for that. Mm-hmm. Right. You can yeah. earn a secure attachment mm-hmm. um, as as you experience relationship, as you heal, um, and something that's led me into like, after being, a, uh, looking at attachment, uh, story work. Um, and what that encompasses is what you're touching on is you're not blaming your parents and saying, Oh, there's, they're terrible parents. They hated me. They screwed me up, but there is a, <laughs> a taking accountability of like, okay, this did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, this, and this has affected me. Yeah. And I need to grieve this. I need to be sad yes. about this. I need to be honest that this was my childhood so I can own it, uh, grieve it and move through it. Cause our bodies are work that way. When we have trauma, yeah. if we don't address it, a great book by Bessel van, van Kolk, Vander Kolk, uh, the body keeps the score. Like attachment is all about the body keeping the score. And if we let that address that and uh, be honest about it and bring it up and grieve it, our bodies will process process that, move on, and heal. Um, and like I've had conversations with my parents about our childhood and like, this was hurtful. This was sad. I'm, I am, this affected me. (laughs) This is, uh, played a part in our marriage and it's been hard conversations, but it wasn't from a standpoint of shame on you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was, it was actually very beneficial to our relationship because they were, they had a chance to reparent me. Whereas like attune, respond, engage, regulate your own emotions, uh, allow hard emotions and say, sorry. Mm-hmm. In that conversation, they were able to do that. Uh, and it wasn't, 
it was a t process and a journey. It wasn't like, oh, I realized this. I go talk to my parents. And that was the first conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a lot of other work with them, and then years of work on my own, and then bringing it to them. And, right. Yeah. And it was not a shaming, but a, a honesty because we can't grieve what we are not honest about. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And I would just jump in to say, like, that's obviously not the situation for everyone. And we don't right. think it is. Right. And we're not implying right. that that's even safe to do for your specific story, whoever's listening. Absolutely. Um, but in, in his, it was it was safe enough to venture into that. Um, mm -hmm. But I would I would say it's really connected to that, too, is like doing story work, exploring um exploring our attachment styles and what needs to be healed really, especially if you have limbic system impairment, um, or whatever, you know, whatever word you're using, if, if you have a lot of anxiety, um, sympathetic activation, you want to do this like in doses, yeah. <laughs> you want to do this in, um, tolerable steps because it is highly activating yes. to look at your story, honestly. And that's why our bodies shut it off. Mm -hmm. Like that is why the protective mechanisms in so many of us said, Nope, it was fine. I had a great childhood. I'm fine. And it's a way to protect and it's a form of dissociation. And totally. An adaptation. Mm -hmm. Like again, we're all about survival and mm -hmm. we've found ways that work. We answer the question, do I, uh, verbalize my needs? Or do I have relationship? Yep. Right. And and so I would echo what Lauren said. I there's a lot of clients. I I walk through this, and I I don't. I encourage them. Don't talk to your parents. Yeah. Like yes. that's not a yeah. safe place. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's not recommended all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, we do need to reparent ourselves. Yeah. And only ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And it is beautiful that you did have that situation, but yeah, many people don't and, mm -hmm. and that's okay. That's okay. Right. Also. Cause you can um, still do the work. Yeah, I, um, exactly. Absolutely. But definitely important to feel to heal, yes. <laughs> feel to heal for yeah. sure. And I do love that you brought up the whole thing about the disassociation. Cause that was definitely my thing is I noticed, um, I would just be like, Oh, it was fine. It's no big deal. Like I just wrote it all off as, Oh, it was fine. Like I should just be stronger than that. But that's all. It's just like the conscious mind, not realizing like, this is all though so much deeper happening at this very body, you know, body mind. And yes. I couldn't just talk my way out of that experience. Cause when I finally did some of the deep emotional work, what I realized is I was really denying this like inner child, this part of myself, mm. like her, her real feelings. Like right. I was basically telling her, yeah, you feel all these feelings, but they don't matter because we're fine. You know, like it's, it's just this, like, it's so, so when you think, and when you can hold space for that inner child, like as if it were a real child, you're like, Oh my God, I would never, right. like, I would never treat somebody else that way. Why would I treat myself yeah. that way? And then you can hold this beautiful space yeah. and then just like allow her or him to have a voice. Yeah. Yes. And, mm. and what you're explaining is, is attachment and the message that, like my parents gave me, because it was like, yeah, my, my my childhood was hard, but it was not that big of a deal. It just explained it away. Mm -hmm. and, and that's because as a child, I had to decide, can I live with this pain and this hurt? Or do I ignore that and choose relationship? 
Right. Yeah. I have to turn, I have to disassociate from that pain and create a reality that says life is okay. Yeah. Right. And And (laughs) go ahead. No, I was going to say, and then, and then fast forward, we end up with a bunch of adults who um, don't understand the concept of boundaries, right? Because that, yeah, that was my story. God, I, it took, I think it was like 38 and I heard a podcast on boundaries and I was like, wait, boundaries, what's that? Like, I, I didn't even know, like, I didn't even know that was a thing and that I could have them and that they were okay. Like, wow. I was a clinician and, and I didn't, and I was teaching people how to have boundaries and I was still in like counseling my mom I was like wait what I what am I doing I shouldn't be doing this I shouldn't have this role and and it's just that subconsciously we have these these schemas of how to keep relationship how to stay safe how to deal with our existence and uh it's so and as I understand attachment more in the body more it just affects every everything like when we are attachments activated we are dis we are dysregulated when we're dysregulated our bodies are are breaking down the longer we're out of that the less we are able to heal the more like it's just everything starts breaking down and and we don't understand the, the schemas that we're saying to ourselves to survive, which is causing uh, that inner child more pain. Because mm. like trauma happens when you can't find safety. So there's big T trauma and little T trauma. And every time you ask that question, am I safe? And the answer is no, some kind of trauma is, is created and your body holds that. And in, that holds that until it finds safety. Mm. Like they did a study with people at 9-11, the people who went home, uh, left the event and came home to an empty house had more severe PTSD symptoms than people who left there and came to a home where there's people who could love them, hear them, and create safety for them. Mm. And, and what you're talking about of listening to that inner child is the purpose of story work is you write a story, you tell a story, and we all know our stories, but we like tell them from 30,000 feet. And the purpose of story work is landing that plane and saying, okay, in this story, what did you smell? What did you hear? What did you feel? Who was there? What was that? What were you thinking? And what that does is reactivates that event in your body. And then you invite yourself or somebody else into that and, and create safety. Mm-hmm. So somebody else's limbic system co-regulates your limbic system. And so what a parent was supposed to do in that event, somebody else does. And it rewires your brain and creates uh, descending uh, neural pathways from your frontal lobe to your limbic system that creates regulation and connection and safety so that that box of trauma is no longer open. It is closed, your body's processed it, and is able to move on. And with insecure attachment, we just re-traumatize ourselves. We just tell our, ourselves the same messages that we were told as a kid is, your, your emotions don't matter. Okay, if they don't matter, then I just stuff them. 
which is why addictions happen. Like I had an addiction for the, for a lot of at the beginning of our, our marriage, and it was just a desire, a, an attempt to regulate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't receive Lauren's love. I couldn't uh, re- like engage in relationship with her on a regular basis because it was overwhelming my nervous system. It just said danger and um, activation and run and fight. So I ran and fight and then I disassociated. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I started looking at my story and having some compassion on myself. Yes. And I shifted, I reparented myself. And, and when I saw those activations or I would I had compassion, I was like, oh, you're not a bad person. You're not a bad kid. You're not uh, uh, inconvenient or a bad husband or a bad dad. You're really struggling. Let, let's. What are you feeling? What's your body telling you? What are you experiencing? Um, what do you need? And I was able to start giving that to myself. But it's also Lauren continue loving me even when I wasn't always lovable. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and it, I, you know, I probably even shouldn't even say that because I was lovable. I was just you broken. Were. Yeah, you were just hurting. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, maybe I am worth it. And I started loving, being able to love myself and having that curiosity to look at my actions, my choices, not as right and wrong, but as information um, and as a message and having compassion on that, attuning to that, responding to that, engaging with that, um, allowing myself to have hard emotions <laughs> and, and apologizing to myself for basically hating myself. Yeah. Um, and, and starting to heal some of that. And so gaining my, uh, healing my attachment to myself, which also, um, allowed myself to receive from Lauren, um, which then started broadening to a wider social aspect of like, not everybody is a threat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that I'm not all that different. Like it's a lot of people are, are afraid of relationship. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of people have the same feelings. Yeah. 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 Okay. So do you feel like hmm, when people are trying to heal through a, an insecure attachment style, do you feel like people can do it on their own or do you feel like they're going to have more success doing it in relationship? I think it's so cool to look back for us on our story and realize like we were both had this attachment wounding and the, the very thing that wounded us, like those primal wounds, you know, relationship also became the thing that brought healing. Yeah. Like what, what irony, that's just so crazy. But we deeply believe that, that humans are so created for connection and deep intimacy. Um, and that that is one of the biggest tools um, to earn a secure attachment yeah. is in the context of relationship, even if that's 
a coach or a therapist, like you can't underestimate if there's not safe people mm -hmm. in your life that are doing the work, you know, that would be safe to, to find, to earn a secure attachment. That's what it's called. Like earning basically the sense of like building into a secure attachment away from mm -hmm. the insecure, um, that there's there's so many ways to do that yeah. um, especially with the digital world like with communities safe communities online um, that are doing the work and I think uh, people can find so much growth and healing through those even those relationships absolutely and and I, I say that I was doing that inner work that wasn't in isolation of the relationship with my wife. Right. Like Lauren, I couldn't have done what I did without Lauren loving me through those years. Well, you probably could have. In other, I mean, maybe in other relationships. Sure. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying like, I did a lot of the internal work myself, but that you, the relationship with you is what opened up those doors to be able to do those things. Yeah. Uh, and see value in myself. So I, I don't know if I'm answering that question, but um, just echoing yes, I think doing it in a relationship is going to be so much more easier. Yeah. Whether it's with a counselor um, or other communities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, Lauren, uh, early on, you said that you initially connected more with an insecure attachment style of uh, the anxious, the mm -hmm. anxious attachment. And I know in my experience of um, coming to understand all this stuff and learning and researching, it's um, not uncommon for an anxious, uh, an anxious, insecure attachment style to end up in partnership with either an avoidant or a disorganized. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like opposites attract. And it's, right. and it's funny because it's, it's, it's all it's all happening for us, right? Like our nervous systems are being attracted to a certain field yes. of energy that only then gives us an opportunity to heal it. But anxious is always worried if this is safe. Is this good? Does he love me? Is, is this okay? Are we going to be okay? But then so but then they kind of pull more and then the avoidant it like they want the relationship but the minute there's any closeness they kind of bail which yeah. only then reaffirms the anxious uh you know person's anxiety and it's yeah. this like constant cycle oh, um, playing girl. out so did you find um did you were you at the same time of, as luke doing his inner work were you doing yours or did you mm -hmm. find that as he became more secure in his attachment style that you also kind of met him there because from my understanding often when an anxious attachment um when a person with an anxious attachment style ends ends up in relationship with someone with a very secure attachment, they often can earn that security because of that co-regulation and attunement from their, their secure partner. Wow, Chaz, you know a lot about this. That's awesome. <laughs> you couldn't have described that better. We literally say all the time, like, this should have never worked. <laughs> this was a like disaster waiting to happen. And honestly, that's not just us. Um, that's any in two insecure attachments coming together are like mm -hmm. oil and water. Yeah. Um, and if they're the same insecure attachment, like to avoidance, I don't even know how they'd ever, ever get anything, like talk about anything deep. I don't know. It'd be hard. But um, yeah. for 
that is such an interesting question because initially I was going to say, yeah, we were kind of doing the inner work together, but I don't, I don't actually, that's not true. He was doing it and I was so ready to love him and to let my love like penetrate him. I remember just saying like to myself or my journal or whatever, like when he can finally receive this, like we will have the best freaking relationship ever because I have so much love I want to share with him. And, you know, it could get through here and there, little little cracks that would go in, but it, the, the walls were so hard that it, it just couldn't. And it was really because he couldn't love himself. Yeah, there's so much self-loathing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. once he was like able, did that, started doing that inner work and started to be able to, you know, be this receptacle to receive love I was like I'm here for it (laughs) I am here and honestly what you described the second scenario I think that's really what happened it was like it made my anxious attachment um obviously I was participating in it it wasn't a passive thing but I became so much more secure in my attachment style and my attachment wounds like really went by the wayside because you were finally, I felt like you were finally in the game of the relationship. I wasn't chasing you anymore. I wasn't like begging to, to like believe that I loved you and to, um, so yeah. And then it's funny a a couple years after that, then I started to do some really deep inner work for myself, like not related to relationship for my inner world and Mm -hmm. a lot of grief work and healing and, and now brain retraining. So it's just so interesting how that journey works with, you know, the people we're in relationships with. Yeah. Well, cause I, I'm curious, um, because we're talking here at like a nervous system level again, an unconscious, subconscious, deep, uh, level here. So if we're anxious and that's where essentially what happens as we go grow through life is our nervous system feels safe in the anxiety. Like that's what feels safe and normal Mm -hmm. like that. And, and so a lot of times this is why they also say like, Oh, when you end up in these kind of toxic relationships, like with an anxious and avoidant, they like, they're like, Oh, it's not where you is it really like love that you were in? And I'm not saying for you, I'm saying just sure. in general, like, was it love or was it your nervous system's idea of what love was? Because right. your nervous system knew love to be this anxious feeling all the time. Yeah. And so a lot of times they say we actually meet people, these secure people, right, who would be really great for us, but mm-hmm. it feels very boring um, mm-hmm. consciously. Mm-hmm. But really what's happening is there's not the same attraction because um, unconsciously, it almost feels not safe because it's not producing those anxious feelings that our nervous system became so used to. So I'm curious, as you um, did start feeling more secure in your relationship with him, as he really was finally showing up in the way you always like kind of dreamed of him being able to be there for you, mm-hmm. was there – was at a body level, was there feelings of unsafety because it was unfamiliar? Such a good question. I think, I mean, I'd have to really mull over that more. Um, So I'm glad you asked it. But I think that I just found other ways to get that anxious neurochemistry Mm -hmm. hit that I need. (laughs) And it was through other relationships, children and other things. So that's so interesting. You said that it's almost like I could shift my energy 
of not needing to be hypervigilant with him anymore, not needing, like being able to just settle into the relationship and, and breathe easy. Yeah, but because our... <laughs> like you said, our nervous systems, like this is, this is the way they're wired. If we, mm-hmm. um, the wiring is, is very, uh, per, not permanent. Hard, it's it, it's hardwired. hardwired. Yeah. So because of that, I definitely like just moved on to my next source of that that negative energy and yeah that's what I'm in the last several months that's what I'm realizing like oh wow this actually I hate it because it's such a weird thing I think that people assume um that you must love what you're addicted to whether it's an actual drug or object or a feeling but I don't think now that I've realized in myself like I've never loved that feeling of that sympathetic energy You know, I just, I've needed it because those are the receptors. My brain has grown for that, that chemical cocktail. And yeah, I don't want it anymore because I realized how much harm it's done. So I'm now I'm Yeah, you're not consciously choosing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so unconscious. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. and, and, And that's totally it. And I've, I've had that personal experience too. It's like, even, you know, and I don't know where you're at in your and how far you are with DNRS, like how far you've come with it. Mm-hmm. If you've been able to really um, remove that hypervigilance and that worry and all that anxiety of the body, it does. It's so interesting. It always finds a way to show itself. So, and like <laughs> you said, it ends up being, um, it's displaced. Like, it's like, oh, first it's in this relationship, you know, and then it's in this, maybe it's with my boss or maybe it's with mm-hmm. um, my, you know, um, a coworker or you get a dog and, it, and it's like with the dog, you know, it, um, it, until you really are able to really, really heal at that body level, it just kind of shifts. And it's funny because so many people, you hear this all the time. Um, you've probably been this person. Um, we are like, Oh, if we can just get rid of, you know, you're in this relationship and you're like, Oh, if I can just get rid of this, everything will be great. Cause you think that the problems are the other person or that situation, but it's, it's not situational. It's something that like you said, is hardwired into our nervous system. And so we get rid of that job or that boss or this, you know, situation. And then we find ourselves like fixated in a different way with that anxiety. For sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. I was just listening to something today and it was talking about uh, like memory mapping and how in our nervous system, when, when attachment is created, our parents give us a memory map for our nervous system to, exp- to know what is safe, like what you were just saying. Um, so it, it's not, so, so it's like related attachment, but it's also our, our mirror neurons are reading our parents growing up, which creates that experience. And so it's like everything we've learned. So they were saying they teach you how to respond in stress. Like you're not, you're not really even conscious of how to respond in stress. You just respond in stress the way your parents respond in stress. And it doesn't decide whether it's good or bad. It just responds. And so, uh, same thing with like what you're saying is your nervous system is just, yeah, hardwired. And that's really just learned from your parents' nervous system <laughs> and then played out over and over in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. We're reinforcing it over and over and right, over. Right. Or reinforcing, yeah. Yeah. So what do we begin to do to break that cycle? It takes a lot of intentionality. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, acceptance. 
and uh, vulnerability and it's like just seeing that's why we have a podcast and like trying to get this information out of like we always say if we could have had this when we got married our marriage would have been so much better night and day <laughs> like so different yeah, just yeah. to have uh, a, a language because our families didn't talk about anything like this right then, so like it depends on your story and you as an individual and the more i'm learning it's there's lots of options like, yeah i walk a lot of my clients through story work um of them just being honest with their story of and then let's grieve it um let's take an honest look which is hard and but i'll doing that also walking them through regulation techniques uh, body awareness um having a language for hyperarousal and hypoarousal and and mapping out how does your body respond when you're around this person how's your body respond when you're around this person um and just attuning to that and then having compassion uh, in that experience, um, having compassion, those stories, telling those stories, um, walking in opposition of your attachment, but also having knowing what your attachment is. Is it anxious? Is it avoidant? Is it um, disorganized? And then looking for those symptoms playing out. Um, so something that, like for me, it was, okay, when am I pushing my wife away because I'm scared? Okay. And when my frontal lobe is not activated, it's very hard to, to see that. Mm -hmm. So I would always replay things and think things and we would even talk through things. What do we, what did you see happening? And, and the more we did that, it rewired our brains to stay online in those activations yeah and um and every time you can make that emotional bid when you would have just run and you make that emotional bid and it's met with with love and safety it tells your brain oh yep. maybe relationship is good and so when you mm -hmm. do that over and over and over just like all of these other types of practices that we do to become healthier humans it changes our brain's belief system about relationships. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, deeply connected to that is also at the very same time, creating really good boundaries with relationships that aren't so safe so that your body can see, look, this person isn't safe, but guess what, mm -hmm. self, I am going to keep you safe. And if we ever get to a situation that feels unsafe, we can always return to safety. Yep. And that tells yeah. your brain, oh, you're not helpless. You're powerful. Yep. You are you have agency here. It's and that and that's body awareness or that knowing when those attachment triggers are activating, like, okay, that person's not safe. You can not just be driven by those automatic responses of attachment mm -hmm. of, oh, oh, I need their I still need them. I need them. I need them. Mm -hmm. Uh you can walk in opposition to that. And within our relationship, knowing that Lauren was anxiously attached and she would share with me, like when you avoid me or when we're in conflict and you're 
not engaging, my attachment style is constantly activated. And, and it feels like crap, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and so when she told me that, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that because my nervous system is completely fine with it. <laughs> I figured because like how we did conflict growing up was we fought and once somebody talked to each other, we just moved on. Talk to each other about the weather. Oh, yeah. Like talked <laughs> about the problem. We never talked about the problem. Yeah. And so uh... I was just like giving you space. Like, okay, when she's ready to talk to me again, we'll just move on. And she's like, no, I'm constantly in anxious activation. Oh, so because I love her, I would see my activation happening. Like, okay, I want to avoid this. I'm just going to wait for her. Wait, no, she said she's activated right now. I don't want to leave her in that space. So I'll move towards her and say, and apologize or mm-hmm. fumble through my, <laughs> my attempts to reconcile, like to talk through this conflict <laughs> that I don't know how to do. And Again, doing that over and over, like Lauren was saying, made it easier over and over. And the foundation of our relationship of just loving each other and wanting the best for each other uh, drove that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You you were supporting reinforcing new neural pathways for one another. Right. So like in the process of making those choices for yourself to, to go lean into her when she needed you to, you were... Um, I mean, it's courageous to, because it, it forced almost in a sense, you to step out of your safety, Mm. your subconscious safety, but each time you did it and then you were then met with, um, then you're able to help her regulate and then she's able to meet you in a loving way. Then you're met with that love. And so what you're doing in a sense is like helping reinforce these, um, new pathways of safety for each other. Yes. And it definitely takes two though. Like you guys Mm -hmm. were lucky in that you were both willing to grow through this and come together and support each other in this. Yeah. Which is really beautiful. Because you're right. That Um, doesn't always happen. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why we, you know, we already mentioned sometimes it might require you to get a friend or um, like some kind of coach or facilitator, Mm -hmm. somebody else that you trust to help you with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Lauren, having been in DNRS for the past four months, how, uh, have you noticed like being able to um, take all this other stuff that you know and then learn the tools of the brain rewiring and the, um, you know, when we're distracting ourselves basically or moving away from a pop, a pathway of the past, mm-hmm. not only the pops around the hypervigilance of the physical symptoms, but were you able to use those principles and apply it to? other things too, like noticing when the anxious attachment style would show up or um, just anything else um, that you've been working through? Did you notice that DNRS was able to help you on a broader scale? Oh, man, I can't believe how much uh, brain retraining principles have helped catapult my um, I mean, I, I, I've had chronic illness for 15 years. So I solely entered into DNRS for physical symptoms. Like I couldn't have cared less about the mental shifts, (laughs) but I didn't know, I didn't know how much um, they were connected and how, Mm -hmm. even though I've been growing in emotional and mental health in the last several years, I didn't know 
like, I felt like it was this untapped world that still was there for me. And so brain retraining principles have just opened up incredible um, mental awareness and insight. And it's weird. It's hard to explain because it's like less awareness of stuff I didn't need to be paying attention to and more awareness of stuff I, I did that I didn't mm-hmm. know was important, you know, like, right. like, um, my mood and me mattering in the moment and me, me giving myself the love and nurture I needed and me, um, instead of hiding under my blankets and crying because I felt like crap, like saying, okay, self, what can you do to, to try and push against this gently and going out on a bike ride or like, I, I didn't realize how mixed, um, my attention was my attention was so focused on things that have that were contributing to my illness and not focused on the beauty and joy around me and so mm-hmm. i'm just i'm i've been amazed like i i constantly just have things that um come into my awareness these insights and these these like things that I'm able to release and just let go of because it feels like it's finally integrating, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've heard people say that, that like you can only get so far if you still have limbic system impairment, you can only get so far. And so I feel like as my limbic system is finally calming, um, I'm able to be like more my truest self. And as, as a bonus, like the physical stuff is, is, um, falling away, which is like amazing. And yeah, like we said earlier, it's not the main priority now me being uh, a powerful, um, happy person that has access to joy and can receive these good things in my life now is really the best part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As her husband, like she is an amazing woman, like powerhouse. Wow. Thank you. Uh, like, (laughs) go get her and super intelligent, just incredible. But this, as she's been doing DRNS, see the shift from like so serious and like determined <laughs> and um, problem solver yeah. like, to be like enjoying life, to be happy, to see, be seeing beauty, to uh, just like a, part of her is coming back alive yeah. and like mm. she has all of this powerhouse still and she still has all these tools but she can enjoy them because she's also feeling good yeah and and um, i'm not a slave to those tendencies anymore like right. i'm not i'm not um the freedom that comes when you can be your your true self and not have these compulsions to oh i have to do 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 or i have to you know fill in the blank for whatever it is for you but I just felt this insatiable, ener- sympathetic energy, this really hard pushing, urgent energy to constantly do. And it was destroying me. And I f- am so glad that my body said no. Like, mm-hmm. there's this great book. I don't know if you've read it, Chaz, When the Body Says No by Gabor Mate. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm eating yep. it yep. up. It's like my body yeah. said no, it was done. Yeah. And I'm so glad that it was done because now I feel like as I continue to heal, the whatever I want will actually be open to me. I'll actually be capable of it, you know? Right. 
Yeah, yeah, and it is a beautiful gift, even though it comes wrapped in a really hard package sometimes. Oh, it does, yeah. But it it is, because it gives us, it's saying, hey, like, I'm giving you a chance to actually step into your truth, to, like, live aligned to your soul. And I think, wow, well, that kind of beats, like, spending my whole entire life in this meat suit, like, not doing that, you know, like, being super unconscious and like digging myself a grave. Like, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I would much rather have that, um, that, you know, that interjection where the, the body's like, all right, nope, enough's enough. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> like we're going to redirect. <laughs> yep. Redirect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely a gift. I agree. How can people connect with you both? So, um, I am on Instagram with the brain retraining stuff. I've been the nutritional therapist for years and I've focused my content on the last several months on brain retraining stuff, just encouraging people. Um, so I'm, I'm there mindful mama, Lauren, uh, I can give you the link. And then we're also, our podcast is called filled to flourish. And we just focus this podcast on, um, all things, emotional health relationships, inner work. Um, and it's been a super fun project for us to work on together. Cause usually our work is separate. I'm working with people physically, um, helping them get healthy and he's working with people emotionally, mentally, spiritually. So this is kind of like a merging of our two mm-hmm. personalities together. Um, so yeah, filled to flourish podcast. Um, and then our, we're also on, um, Instagram filled to bless, uh, another, another Instagram where we share lots of mental health stuff and cool pictures of Thailand and yeah, stuff like that. I love it. And, um, Luke is the work that you do mostly in, per- it's like in person. So you don't do anything virtually or, um, we, I do do stuff virtually, but just with, within Southeast Asia, uh, oh, okay. per, cause of time zone and everything like that. Yeah, um, but exactly. yeah, most of it is in person, but with COVID, it's grown a little bit more into um, virtual. But we're primarily okay. working with expats. Yeah. Um, and then just mm-hmm. the, the online, the social media and the podcast are more of like an international thing, which is cool because it feels like um, we can, we just love to share our journey and what, what's happening. Just like kind of like what you said, Chaz, like if it can help someone, awesome. Yeah. Let's throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so I'm going to ask you both one more question. Uh, Well, it's the same question, but I want you both to answer it separately. Um, So Lauren, I'll have you go first. What Mm -hmm. is the most important message that you would want to share with the world? Oh my goodness. I've heard you ask this. I should have been prepared, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the most important question. Oh my goodness. The most important message that you're called to share with the world. Yeah. I think, I think it would be um, how much you are intended to receive love and goodness and beauty. Like you are just a receptacle for it. And yes, this world is so much not that a lot of the time. And that's kind of been my whole life story is that it was not good and it was not beautiful and it was not safe. But there is just this, uh, amazing reality that humans are made uh, for so much goodness and the wounds that we've experienced that have told us otherwise can be healed and we can begin to receive um, that deep, meaningful love. Mm. Yeah. I love it. 
Thank you. And Luke, what's, what do you feel like is the most important message that you feel called to share with the world? Um, that your story matters, that you matter, mm. that, uh, you matter enough to, to know your story, to love yourself, to pursue healing, to advocate for yourself, mm. to prioritize yourself so that you can heal. Um, and that as you do that, the, there's, it's a whole new world to, to enjoy. Mm. Um, but there's a whole new experience of safety as you are able to love yourself. And because when you are able to love yourself, you're able to receive other people's love and then able to love other people wow. yeah. well. And there's a whole nother, uh, enjoyment of life when you're not living out of survival and trauma and, and wounds. So yes. seek out that healing for yourself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We are all worth it. 100%. That's right. I love it. Thank you guys for sharing that. Do either of you have anything else that you feel is like a really important, just like message tidbit, anything that we didn't get to talk about that I didn't ask you yet that you want to share today? There's one thing that's on my mind, so I'll share it. And um, just about attachment and the importance of doing your work, attachment work. If you're a parent or plan on having kids, mm. uh, the importance of doing that work. Um, there's a book called Parenting from the Inside Out. Um, and it's just a phenomenal book, but the perp the point of it is you are going to parent from your attachment style. You're going to parent from your wounds. And so it's really important to address those wounds, uh, so that you can not pass that on to the, to your kids, the next generation. Mm -hmm. Um, cause thinking your way through parenting or even reading good parenting books mm -mm. in the midst of the moment. The hardwiring is going to come out. Yep. Like, no matter how much you love your kids, your attachment style is going to be activated by your kids, and um, and that that's going to cause wounds and hurts for your own kids. And if you can't regulate, then you can't repair it. And so, mm -hmm. just the importance of uh, doing your work, not just for yourself, but for your kids as well, for those parents out there. Yes, the next generation, like they're desperate for something different. We we've got to we've got to um, do better by our kids so that people don't have to do as much work as we've all had to do. <laughs> Seriously, mm -hmm. yeah, it's time to start healing some of this uh, yes. ancestral trauma for sure, exactly. and starting something new. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how we shift collectively. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, awesome. You guys, I am stoked to have you on here today and it was a lot of fun. And I think this is a great topic to, uh, be, you know, discussing and addressing for anyone out there listening. If, you know, obviously, um, Lauren, you've encountered this where you've experienced many years of physical or, uh, mm -hmm. chronic illness. So we know that like, man, our relationships and how we relate to people plays a role in our well-being. So it's an important topic for sure. Um, so thanks for being a part of my podcast and sharing your experiential wisdom with everybody. Well, thanks for having us. It's been a, 
a great time. It has. Thank you so much, Chaz. Of course. All right, that's a wrap. If you felt this message resonated with you today, please consider sharing it with a friend who might also benefit from hearing from Luke and Lauren. Have fun with your self-care challenge, and until next time, create a great week.